Was there more advanced life before humans? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, May 22nd, 2023. Hi, I'm Dr. Georgia Purdom, and this is Patricia Engler and Jessica Jaworski. And today we're going to be discussing a recent study that re-examines life in the universe in addition to other news stories. But first, let's start with this one. Advanced life should have already peaked billions of years ago, says paper. So this is our monthly or weekly installment of why we still don't find life in outer space. <laughs> uh, it seems like, I said, I need to start keeping tabs on these um, because there are quite a few reasons why they keep coming up with uh, this idea of why we're not finding them. And this one, this one focuses actually around black holes. It's a bit of a unique one. I haven't seen this particular um, version before, so to speak, but the effect that black holes can have on star formation. Now, none of us are astronomers up here. Um, we're all basically biologists or ethicists, and so we don't really um, deal with that as much, but, um, but we can kind of understand the basic gist of it. So... Who wants to give the gist? <laughs> it's all yours, Jessica. Or I can. <laughs> well, I'll try. So they're, they, uh, they, they were looking at black holes. This, it was a study they were looking at black holes, and they found different gas within those black holes. There were gas-dense environments and uh, environments that were not uh, gas-dense, too. And so they were looking at those and the black holes with the star formation as well and saying that there was... More life found in the gas-dense environments, correct? Or right. more like more what they considered habitable planets yeah, forming, right. basically, yeah. mm -hmm. at a faster so, rate. Yeah, and also uh, Dr. Jason Lyle has wonderful articles on black holes if you're looking for a little more in-depth look at black hole explanation than what we can offer for that. Right, <laughs> for sure. So, and something to keep in mind is you can't just like look at a black hole and see what's going on. Um, there's like one image of a black hole that they took, it took like years of like all this like highly specialized uh, data and specialized telescopes. So it's not something they're observing directly. What they're doing is coming up with simulations based on assumptions of what they think goes on. And then they're looking at those simulations, which are based on, in this case, different long age assumptions about the earth being billions of years old, about what makes a habitable planet, about evolution happening um, within habitable planets in a certain time frame. So assuming all those things are true, then it's saying, well, in these types of black holes, then you'd have have um, potentially more habitable planets forming. That would have peaked some time ago. Therefore, civilizations, advanced civilizations might have also peaked some time ago. Therefore, we're late arrivers. And maybe that's why we don't see other right. life. So I mean, lots that's, of that's the whole thing is like Earth is relatively young compared to the rest of the universe. So Earth is only about four and a half billion years old, supposedly, in their time frame. But the universe is 15 billion years old. So the idea is if life, if there's enough time for life to evolve here, then there should be plenty of time for life to evolve in other places, right? But that's all based on evolutionary ideas and evolutionary assumptions that life just comes about by random chance over eons of time. So, um, so that's why they keep looking and keep thinking we should find something. And the fact that I think it is very hard for people to think we're alone in the universe, right? And, and we'll even talk about that a little bit later. People don't want, people are genuinely lonely. They don't want to think that they're alone. And so they're looking for that something, uh, so to speak, that's out there, thinking it must be out there. Yeah, I wrote down Isaiah 45, 18, which says, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it, he did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there, there is no other. So God purposed that the world, that the earth would be inhabited by people who are made in his image. He made them male and female. He created us to work. He created us to have dominion over his creation. So we see that life is not meaningless and that ultimately, importantly, he created, he made um, 
that he sent his only son Christ to die for fallen sin, sinful people like us too. We see that in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God purposed, that was his design for the earth and for the people who are inhabited in the earth too. And so life is not meaningless. There is a purpose, there is a design and there is order created by God and we're ultimately supposed to exalt Christ and bring him glory too. Well said. Yeah, and they just, you know, it's kind of sad. They're trying to they're trying to put this black hole basically into the equation where they try to figure out how probable it is that life is somewhere um, because they because the universe is so vast that it's hard to even know where to look, so to speak. So they're trying to narrow things down. But really, they, all they need to be doing is looking in the Bible, right? That, that really is the key because God is the creator and he has told us the truth um, about this universe and about this world. And so um, they need to be looking to that true source, not black holes. <laughs> um, or probable black holes. All right. North Carolina Republicans override Democrat governor's veto on abortion bans. This is a bit of good news. Um, sometimes it feels like we share a lot of bad news. Um, so I always like to make sure that we share it when there are victories like this. So um, it was it was vetoed, obviously, by the governor, but then there was a supermajority in the Republican um, uh in the Congress there, uh, the state Congress, and so they were able to override it. So uh, that's really good news. What it does is it bans abortion for children um, in the womb that are older than 12 weeks, and um, and that's not enough, okay, because um, that's, that's an important step. I'm not saying that, but it's not enough because, again, um, all life is made in the image of God, and it is made in that image from the moment of fertilization. And so um, we need to be advocating for more and more on that. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, th this is not a primarily a political issue. It's a theological issue, and life inside the womb matters. God created people made in the image of God. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, and Christians should be at the forefront of ad advocating for the sanctity of life and upholding that inherent value that God placed in people. Absolutely. And one way I like to <clears throat> encourage people to think through these types of laws and reasoning for abortion is to use um, what we could call the right to kill test. So take any reasoning that people apply to abortion and ask if you apply that very same reasoning to someone who's already born, would that give you a right to kill them? So in this case, we're super thankful for this law, but it does still have a ton of exceptions um, for um, people who are older than 12 weeks post-implantation for people who weren't conceived or for people, yeah, who were conceived rather under traumatic circumstances. But would we give people normally a right to kill other people based on their age and the circumstances of their origin? No. So these are still unjust laws. It's still fundamentally an unjust society when you're um, allowing for laws that let you kill some people but not others. So there's still work to do, but we are thankful for the progress that has been made. We could pray for our politicians, too, and the leaders who are making these decisions as well, that they would uphold the value of life. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's really sad because they even were showing, um, we're not going to show the videos or anything, but the pro-abortion um, uh, supporters that were there, just you know, they were really screaming things like shame um, on the um, people that had passed this law. And it's really, I mean, that's just, it's just really devastating to think about that, right? Because they're basically telling people, you're wrong for um, passing laws that prohibit the murder of unborn children. Um, that's really what they're doing. And um, it, it's very sad to think about that. But one of the other things I did like about this bill, this particular bill, is that it also provides money for pregnant women, including for childcare, for foster-related care. And that's something that, you know, oftentimes they'll say, well, you pro-lifers, all you care about is the baby. No, <laughs> we don't just care about the baby. We care about all life. We care about those moms and dads, too. And we want to help them. If you've ever been to a pregnancy care center, you know that it's 
it's focused not just on that baby, but it's focused on mom and dad too and really supporting them and helping them. So it's good to see that they're trying to give some money for those types of programs as well. So, Okay, scientists updated the human genome to make it more equitable and inclusive. Okay, just when you thought nothing else could go woke, it does. Now, I'm a geneticist, so... This article was very interesting to me um, because I actually, actually got my PhD the year that they finally, well, the year that they sequenced the human genome back in 2000. So it was something that was pretty memorable for me um, because that was a huge, huge achievement. And um, I knew that when they sequenced it, they were only mainly focusing on a, a few individuals, right? It wasn't like, you know, they're not, <laughs> sequencing technology at this level is fairly new. And so we're happy to just get 3 billion bases and know what they all are <laughs> uh, for the most part. And even then it took us, I don't know if you realize this, but actually took them another um, 22 years to get all of it. Okay, because some parts people don't realize are, are very repetitive. Um, they're very hard to sequence. And so we now have the whole thing. But the idea was because it wasn't representative of, um, you know, a lot of different ethnicities or different people groups, they wanted to sequence many more genomes to look at that and compare them and stuff. And that's a good thing, but it has nothing to do with equity and inclusion like it's commonly thought today. Just common sense, and I thought even the title was a little bit funny because they're not updating the human genome. You can't like they're not like physically editing people to make us no. more inclusive or something. It's uh, they're just getting a more varied range of data in their standard reference for sequencing the genome, which, like you said, it's a good idea. It doesn't you don't have to bring in all the the ideology with it? Yeah, they have a subhead subheading in here that says removing bias, and re removing bias sounds like a hopeful incentive. Um, but they go on to describe the need to be more inclusive by elevating a certain people group over others, which is showing a bias that's elevating another group above somebody else in the idea of collectivism when we look at man's word in that way. But when we go back to God's word, his foundation, we see that we're made in the image of God. We're all uh, one race, one human race, and that we all have inherent value. And so we need to stand on the authority of God's word when we're looking at thing, these things and not, not be, and to be discerning when there's uh, words like inclusivity and equity and um, uh, under the guise of justice, and what, the, what does that actually mean biblically? Right. And yeah. this, you know, the information in the paper, they basically um, are saying that as they compare these different genomes from different ethnicities, so they don't, they don't represent anyone from Antarctica. Well, that's because no one actually lives in Antarctica, um, and no one from Oceania. So they still have a little bit of more work to do in that sense and get more of these genomes because they can compare them. And that's good for a lot of just medical reasons because we want to know how different people groups are different on a genetic level, how medications might work for one person but not someone else. You know, and so it's good to know uh, what that diversity is. And they say now, we used to say, and I, we need to update uh, what we even say sometimes, what I say, is that we're only 0.1% difference. And now found out we're 0.4% difference. Okay, so it's still not very much considering how many different genomes we have now. Um, it's a very, very small amount. And it's like what Jessica says, because we all go back to two people just 6,000 years ago. So it's just been a few thousand years. So there really hasn't been time to accumulate that many differences because it's been such a short period of time. Yeah, and so I, I really hope that they, I, I mean, they even show in the word justice at the end, you know, this is all about the principle of justice. And I'm like, no, it's all about the principle of good science, okay? Um, good science says that when you, especially when you're sequencing something like a genome, you need to know what all the variations are. That's a really good thing. And I was even thinking as I was looking at the image that they show on this, it's a little rainbowish. 
mm. isn't it? Mm. I thought, and again, it's, it's using words and images to portray certain ideas that they want you to buy into and, and to think about it in that sense, even if it has nothing to do with that. All right, four more companies go full Bud Light in their support for transgenderism. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you probably know um, what happened with the Bud Light fiasco of um, a certain can that they sent to a certain transgendered person. Um, and uh, it, it did not help their sales, okay? In fact, it really, really hurt their sales. But that hasn't stopped other companies from doing very similar things. So uh, we're just going to review a few here, um, just so you know, because this, you know what, this matters. I mean, you're, where you put your money, where you put your time and effort into, you've got to think about those things as Christians. And I'm not saying don't go to these places or whatever. Everybody has to make that individual choice, but I'm saying it's something that you have to think about. So mm -hmm. start with Target there, Jessica. Yeah, they mentioned Target here. So they're, they, they talk about a lot of the clothing that Target is um, putting on their clothing racks in order to make their brands more gender binary or inclusive for other people too. So there's a lot of transgender ideology, a lot of these um, clothing that are trying to be more equitable for um, both male and females to wear so it's, it's just rooted and in, in inundated with a lot of that transgender ideology in the clothing that they're offering for consumers to purchase. And targeting things toward kids specifically, yes. right? Yeah, yes. that, mm -hmm. that's what, boy, they really target children. They even have a book for four to eight-year-olds called The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish, Swish, Swish. I mean, that is just blatant, blatant. I, I won't even read some of the other ones. That's just blatant advertising and pushing this agenda on children. Uh, it really is a war on children when we talk about that. Yeah, recommended five to seven-year-olds for one, one of these books and then four to eight-year-olds for another book. Yeah. So that's very, very yeah. young. They're targeting them. You want to take yeah. the next one? Well, they were also talking about how Levi's is bringing out a lot of gender-neutral clothing, um, and then they had quite a bit to say about Starbucks as well. So yeah. one, of the, one of the quotes that um, they, they had from Starbucks is, we love and accept you for who you are, uh, because being yourself means everything to us. And by being yourself, they're not talking about being the person God created you with the genome and body that God created you with. They're talking about elevating your internal feelings as the authority for truth, which is a false religion that goes all the way back. Um, we, we saw it hundreds of years ago in philosophers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau. There's more information about that on our website if you want to trace some of the history of these false ideas. But Starbucks is just kind of bringing out these old lies and packaging them for sales now. Yep. Yeah, and it's also worth pointing out that this whole attack on marriage and family isn't anything new. That's another thing I've been, I've been writing more about lately. Like, you can see hundreds of years ago people bringing out these themes, but it, it does go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, people wanting to make themselves the authority for truth. God's the one who decided and who determined and designed what the family institution is supposed to be. We can't make up those rules for ourselves, And when we do that, it does lead to um, consequences and a lot of confusion, which we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even Sports Illustrated now, I mean, not that I recommend their swimsuit issue, but um, that's got its whole other issue, of a whole other set of problems. But now they're putting men on the cover of the Sports Illustrated um, swimsuit issue. And so it's not only a war on children, it's a war on women. Um, and, and even the author of this article said, it's no space that's historically been reserved for women. No traditions, jobs, sports, or products sacred anymore. And the answer to that is no, mm -hmm. it isn't. Um, and so it, it's, it's just so ironic, right? I mean, it's so ironic in a culture that says, we got to have all this equity and this inclusion, and yet, eh, we'll just put all these men in place of women. It's okay. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, when we look to God's word, we see too, though ultimately he does not divorce sex from gender too. So God created male and female. He created them with distinct um, characteristics and roles that are distinctly male, that are distinctly um, uh, for a man, that are distinctly female, that are distinctly for a woman. So we see God's good design. And we see that too in his proclamation in Genesis 131, where he says, very good. God's design is good. And so we need to look to his foundation when we're looking at issues like this. And there's a quote too that you were mentioning the Sports Illustrated. Um, the quote from the editor-in-chief says that there was no theme for the issue where they put a man on the cover of it. It says, rather, there is a vision, a sentiment, a hope that women can live in a world where they feel no limitations internally or externally. So a woman can feel this way by erasing a woman and replacing them with a male. The irony is pretty astounding. Yeah, there's a lot of definitional things going on. So what do they mean by women, for one? And what do they mean by limitations? They can't really think that women should have no limitations. So that would also exclude you from having more limitations for murdering, say, magazine producers or something like that. So they really can't believe that women should have no limitations. And also just how they're defining women is interesting because they don't mean being born with a female body. They mean someone who um, thinks they feel like a woman. But there's this inconsistency going on within um, this, this framework because you have other people within the same line of thinking that will say, well, um, if you have a uh, if, only if you are born with the body of someone considered an oppressed minority can you understand what it's like to feel like that oppressed minority and you, you, can you say anything about it. But wait a minute, women are also supposed to be an oppressed minority. So people can't say that they feel like a woman if they haven't been born with an oppressed minority's body in that sense. So I don't know why the reasoning applies to that scenario, but not this scenario. But it just points out some of the, uh, some of the inconsistencies going on when you don't start with God's word. You, lead to, you just get a lot of confusion. Yeah, it's, a lot, it's very self-contradictory, right? We see that over and over again. And when you start with a secular worldview and not based in the Bible, that's what happens. Um, you just go around in these vicious circles, um, so to speak, and it's very problematic. And it was interesting because the author of this article was like, so why are these companies doing this? Because they saw how bad it was for business for, with Bud Light. So why would they do it? And this author of the article believes, he says, I think they really believe it. They've actually bought the lies, right, that the culture has continued to promote. And so that's more important to them, actually, than their sales. Um, so it's interesting. I don't know that that's true. I can't say that that's true, but it is something interesting to think about and why, um, again, we need to really um, be standing on the truth of God's word. We need to teach those things to our children, um, especially. Um, and um, we have a lot of great resources here at Answers in Genesis to help you do uh, just that because we really, we, and most important resource of all, obviously being God's word and teaching them that truth beginning in Genesis because that's where all of that starts. Okay, AI, in other words, artificial intelligence, will be the political left's single greatest weapon against religious faith and truth, says expert. All right, so this whole art, so you probably have heard, um, again, about AI. Chat GPT is one version of AI that's now available to the public. And so what this article is really focusing on is, well, what happens when you ask questions of Chat GPT about things like religion? Um, because, again, AI is only as good or only will promote the ideas of the people that programmed it in the first place. It's not okay? neutral. So, right. so we have to remember that. It's artificial intelligence, not, not real intelligence, right? It's, it's people that have that put those ideas and those things into it. And so this is something that Patricia really has been studying a lot and looking at a lot. So I'm going to let her kind of talk about what, what are some of the issues that Christians need to think about when it comes to AI? Yeah, for sure. And this is important because um, in our culture today, you can already see that we're losing some 
like reading skills and that sort of thing. So now if we have um, AI taking over a lot of our thinking for us and our writing for us, that actually puts humanity in a really dangerous position. If we're not able to communicate for ourselves, we're just kind of letting biased, uh, fallible um, people's thinking do our own communication and thinking for us. So we have to start with God's word for everything, right? And it might seem daunting to do that with technology because the Bible doesn't speak specifically to modern technological issues, but it does give us principles for thinking about how shall we live in response. So I have a little bit of a sermon, mini sermon. <laughs> I'll keep it short, but a few points for how we can be um, living in response to this uh, new technology. One, we need to recognize it's a tool. It's not a replacement for our brains or our communication skills. And the Bible gives us boundaries for how to use tools because there's good and bad uses for any tools. And we can look to God's word to see how to do that. So two good questions to ask. Are we using this in a way that aligns with God's commands for humans? And are we using this in a way that aligns with God's purposes for humans? And then that helps us remember that technology exists to serve humanity, not the other way around. We also want to keep up our traditional reading and writing and critical thinking skills. We have to still be able to write and communicate things. And we also have to apply biblical critical thinking. So that means starting with God's word as our authority for truth. AI cannot be our authority. It can't be the, the last say in what's true and what's not. We can't go that way. We have to start with God's word and we have to be looking at content that AI has generated too and thinking, okay, where's the biases here? Where's the propaganda? We have great critical thinking resources to help you with that. And I also think it's wise to set high ethical standards and boundaries for ourselves as we start to use this technology more. I think it's a great idea to um, even put disclaimers on the end products to say what part of it was generated with the help of AI. That does two things. One, it helps us uphold um, high consistent standards of intellectual integrity, which is important. And second, it helps us keep in our own minds the boundaries clear between human and technology. We're the humans, this is the technology, this is our contribution, this was its contribution, because that helps us remember it's not part of us, it's not an extension of our brain. We're the humans, it's the tool. And then that again just helps us remember who we are and who God created us to be. Then we want to stay in God's word as the basis for our thinking. That keeps our focuses aligned and our priorities straight. And we want to share the gospel. Um, that might seem irrelevant, but something that this article was saying is that how even though AI can proclaim the gospel, it's our job to share the gospel. We're the ones who have experienced God's grace and redemption. You can't make technology a substitute for that. So there we go. There's my mini sermon. Hope it was helpful. Great job. Yeah. As they both mentioned, yeah, this is, not, this is not neutral, and we can't put our hope in technology that is made by sinful fallen people. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So when we have Christ and we have the Holy Spirit, we can spiritually discern stuff too. So it's important to be discerning when we're looking at things like this and new technologies as they develop. Yeah, any tool can have can have really good effects and really good things that we can use it for, but it can also have really bad ones. Um, I know in higher education, one of the things that people are concerned about, and I, I'm a professor for online university, and um, students cheating um, because it's amazing. I've, I've worked with ChatGPT a little bit and I am literally stunned when I put in some of my short answer questions how well it can answer. Um, and so, and draw from multiple sources and do exactly what I'm asking a student to do. So um, it, is, it is something I think has uses. I think it can be very useful and helpful, but um, again, we have to think about those limitations. We have to think about as Christians that we're uh, abiding by God's word and what he has 
he's told us in his word and um, being truthful in things. And, and like you say, still using our minds, right? Um, we don't want to become this mindless society that depends on AI. For those of you from another generation like mine know about Terminator um, and things like that. So, right? So we want to, we don't want that. Um, so we want to be, we want to be thinking, right? We still want to be thinking Christian. That's what we're called to do. We're taught, said to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And so those are all things that we need to do. Um, and especially as Jessica said, when it comes to sharing the gospel, I mean, right? We, we need to be one to doing that. It can, it can tell you what the gospel is, but it can't really share the gospel. And that's a to us. So. Brian Osborne, who is a speaker um, and a curriculum specialist here, he um, had a video. It's called AI. It's pushing an anti-God agenda. And so it's on our website and you can go watch it. And I would recommend it too. It's a 10 minute video talking about yeah. um, AI. And he asked uh, chat GBT a couple questions too. So it's a good video. Right. All right. How are dinosaur tissues preserved in deep time? Okay. So this is like one of my favorite things to talk about because it's really hard for evolutionary evolutionists to explain why there's soft tissue found in dinosaur bones that are supposedly anywhere between 65 and 125 million years old. Um, because like I'm a geneticist, I've worked a lot with um, tissues and cells and DNA and proteins. They don't last that long. Okay? Um, we, can, we can observe these kinds of things in the lab, but these things are very fragile. And um, so one of the challenges then for evolutionists is to explain the fact that we do find this soft tissue. How could it be preserved for all that time? And uh, Dr. Mary Schweitzer has been one of the scientists. She was one of the first to actually discover soft tissue in dinosaur bones. And so she's done a lot of research on that, looking at the role of iron and possibly forming what are called cross-links between proteins. And, and when you do that, it stabilizes the protein. So that's what you want. And that, they think that's maybe a mechanism that could preserve it. Um, and there's other groups um, that have maybe thought, well, maybe these other, these things called carbonyl groups could do that as well. And there may be some overlap between the two mechanisms. And so this paper is just kind of looking at, well, maybe the, both of these things are playing a role in preserving the tissue, and that's how it gets preserved for millions of years. Don't you love it how like you just have to come up with some sort of evolutionary explanation mm -hmm. and storytelling and then it gets presented as fact in the headlines. And yeah. You can see even in this headline the assumptions built right in there assuming <laughs> that it has to be deep time. Somehow this has to be preserved uh, so we just need to come up with some sort of explanation right. for how. Is it a good explanation? Well even if these cross-linking um, uh, mechanisms had the capacity of something like formaldehyde. If you had a frog pickled in formaldehyde from your di dissection class in biology, and if you just left it there for 65 million years, <laughs> would you expect there to be soft tissue left? No. No. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the even if preservation is happening in this way, it, it doesn't provide support for millions of years too, whereas when we go to God's word and we see the history as laid out in his perfect word, we see that the rapid burial as caused from the global worldwide flood provides a consistent explanation for why we would find soft tissue in organisms. Right, and it's an example of how evolutionary and long age assumptions set science back because they spent a lot of time originally, or a lot of authors spent a lot of time and wasted a lot of energy trying to explain yeah. away the existence of soft tissue and calling it anything else than what it is. So at least this article is recognizing, okay, it's soft tissue. Now we just yeah. have to explain how it could have possibly lasted that long. But if you don't start with those assumptions, everything just makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it's really perfectly consistent with the biblical worldview because it's only very, because most fossils were formed as a result of the flood. It's very deeply, it's very quickly, it's only a few thousand years old. So it's not unreasonable to think that we would find soft tissue. And there are creation scientists that are actually doing this research and trying to figure out even mechanisms that could preserve it for thousands of years. But that's much more plausible than the idea of millions of years. All right. 
Americans' health may be undermined by not going to church, Surgeon General. Okay, oh, the irony, right? Because, <laughs> so which is going to hurt you more, you know, the pandemic or not going to church, right? So uh, um, I found this article when I saw it, I was like, okay, yeah, well, I could have probably told you that. They even said that not going to church or loneliness, I should say. So the idea, because people are very alone, very isolated as a result of this, they said loneliness is as bad for individuals as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So that's the effect, because what's happening to you mentally is affecting you physically, right? And we all know that. And um, so they're saying that a decline in the participation in church services and other religious activities, what's happened as a result of the pandemic, is very, very much um, affecting individuals, and that church is important. But maybe not for the right reasons that they said. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I highlighted what the Surgeon General said here. They said religious or faith-based groups can be a source for regular social contact, serve as community of support, provide meaning and purpose, create a sense of belonging around shared values and beliefs, and are associated with reduced risk-taking behaviors. Christians should be involved in community-based things, but the church is not primarily a social gathering. It's not meant to be that way. The church is supposed to exalt Christ, is to be founded on Christ, and is supposed to be used to share the gospel message with the world as well to to bring God glory and exalt Christ in that way. Amen. Good truth. And it just goes back to the importance of living in line with God's purposes for humanity and how he created us. And he created us to be in relationships. And that's something to keep in mind as we navigate all these new technologies and things is uh, making sure that we don't lose those um, um, connections. And actually, I found that was super important as I was traveling around interviewing students about how they keep their faith during university, having connections with other Christians is huge. So this just applies to every area um, of life, getting through uh, hard places, getting through um, things like the pandemic. It's just good for your health. It's who we're created to be. We have to keep up those interpersonal foundations. And we're not surprised to see when studies like this affirm what the Bible has already said for thousands of years. Yeah, they t there's been a lot of studies that have come out recently talking about loneliness, especially among young people. And it's very interesting because we have more social media, more ways to connect than ever before, and yet people feel still feel very alone. Um, and, and part of that is, again, that need for that um, actual personal connection, not just through a device or something like that. And so, uh, and so again, we, the answers are there, right there in God's word. That we, It gives us meaning and purpose in life. You know, one of the studies said that 75% of millennials basically say, I don't know why I get out of bed every morning. All right, and that's, that's very sad, right? But, but, but again, from a secular evolutionary viewpoint, why? Well, I agree. Why get out of bed? Why do anything? What's the meaning and purpose in life? And when we start with God's word, we have those things, right? We have that. Um, we know we're image bearers. We know we're to live out um, our lives for the glory of God. And so we have that when we start with God's word. And so it makes it very, very important. All right, so a couple of things that we have just want to tell you about. So one, um, November 2nd through the 4th is our annual Creation College Expo. So if you want to find Christian universities that stand on the truthfulness and authority of God's word, you need to come to this. Um, if you're um, in high school and, or maybe you're already graduated and are trying to figure out what to do next, it's a really great opportunity to figure out what those next, step are, next steps are um, and really talk to um, recruiters and people from the various colleges that we have here. Uh, answers Bible curriculum. This is our Sunday school curriculum. It goes through the Bible chronologically in 
four years um, for all grade levels, all the way from pre-K, all the way up through adult, um, apologetics focus, um, gospel focus. And so really recommend that. We have a digital version of that. For those of you who like digital, I'm still a paper person, but, um, uh, but for those of you who like digitally, it's really, really easy to use. And we also have a homeschool version of this as well for kindergarten through fifth grade. So if you're a homeschooling mom and dad, uh, this is a great way to, again, go through the Bible chronologically, help children learn that meta-narrative of scripture, and you can teach them this um, particular curriculum all grades at one time, but they have individual workbooks that they can work through. So that's a really um, great tool. Now we have a couple of resources we want to talk to you about. Why don't you take that first one there? This is UFOs and ETs as a biblical and cultural explanation of aliens. So it's a pocket guide book. So looking uh, to talk about those things from a biblical worldview, a great resource for understanding those things. You go next. You got to talk about your book. <laughs> so then I, I have a book called Prepare to Thrive, a survival guide for Christian students and their parents. And that uh, summarizes just some of the top practical tips for building strong foundations to get through secular university and keep your biblical worldview intact and strong. And Craft It by God, this is a, a, a new book that uh, my friend Stacia and I wrote, and it's really um, a pro-life book for kids, right? teaching them about we're made in the image of God. It's got some really great um, things that people can do with their kids in it, um, little fold-outs and things like that. And so it's a, um, help, helping children know that we're all made in the image of God and that that is important. All right, so next week um, we have an exception. So we're not going to be here on Monday. Well, we will be here on Tuesday um, because next Monday is Memorial Day. So if you're wanting to catch us next week, we'll be here on Tuesday, um, May the 30th at 2 p.m. So we'll see you next week. Bye.